0: Welcome to the Fram Park Center for Faith and Life in Scottsdale, Arizona. This is the Out of the Park podcast series. We invite you to join us for other programming you can find on our website at www.framparkcenter.org. Join us. Hello, I'm Leah Quarles, the pastor for Congregational Life and Family Ministries here at Pinnacle Presbyterian. And today I'm joined by Professor Andrew Root. Andy is the Carrie Olson-Balson Professor of Youth and Family Ministries at Luther Seminary. He writes and researches in areas of theology, ministry, culture, and younger generations. And his most recent book is called The Church After Innovation. Questioning our obsession with work, creativity, and entrepreneurship, it's the fifth book in his series, Ministry in a Secular Age. Uh, Thank you for joining us. I'm really grateful for your time. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course.
1: And thanks for getting the Carrie Olson-Balson right. Like, you didn't even ask me before. And usually people are always like, what is that word and how do I say it? So, I mean, you're, this is very professional.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. I've done my research.
1: (laughs) Well, it shows.
0: I've listened to your podcast. (laughs) I actually read some of your books. Oh. Um, well, my a- I was first introduced to your work through a friend who was in seminary at the time and I had expressed a desire to get involved in youth ministry. I was a college student and I said, just was so eager about serving God and working with mm. youth and I wanna do this stuff. Mm-hmm. And this friend, Abigail Visco Russert, uh, oh. said, Here's a book I want you to read. Yeah. And um gave me a copy of Revisiting Relational Youth. Oh yeah, yeah. And then said, Come along with me and start working. So that was my first wow. introduction to your your This is work. such
1: a small world. It yeah. Is. I Abigail is a is a good friend. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. I didn't know that before we were recording that that's the that's the connection. That's very cool.
0: Yeah, very cool. Abigail is a huge reason why I went to seminary, yeah. got into ministry. She filled out my application to seminary wow. while I was on the phone in the back of a pickup truck in <laughs> Haiti. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's a story. Yeah. yeah. But
0: um, I do try to channel some of her joy and yeah, enthusiasm yeah, yeah, for yeah. ministry. Yeah. Um, but then again... I saw your work and got to read it when I was doing some continuing education with Institute for Youth Ministry Mm -hmm. at Princeton Seminary, where we read um, Bonhoeffer as youth worker. So I know that you began writing really focused in youth ministry, and I'm curious because now I understand you're also looking at a different area. So could you explain how you started here in youth ministry, and now you're working in secularism?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, maybe some people see the real strong connection there. Um, But, yeah, I mean, the way I wouldn't want it to be interpreted is that somehow, like, I've outgrown the youth ministry stuff. You know, I think there's been a a kind of bias in in Protestant, like, kind of preparation for ministry. Like, you start in youth ministry, and then you become, you know, you you become a youth pastor, and then you become a real pastor. And I really have... Wanted to resist that, and I think it's uh, belittling to the kind of ministry that happens there. So I don't want people to kind of read the the arc of my work in any way as kind of departing from youth ministry. I think that that remains something really central. And as as you even name my title, it's you know it's still right in the the title of what I do. But that being said, like one of my real focus has been from the beginning that there is something inherently theological. About ministry itself, and that that isn't really determined by an age, and so um, youth ministry was a perfect place to kind of work out what is what what does it mean to be in ministry, or what what is it even what is ministry really all about? And and the place that I've been pushing, without this seeming too like weirdly obscure or something, is trying to really think about how the practice of ministry not just as a pastor but maybe even as a lay person to to be swept up into caring for another person to be swept up into to living with someone um in a way that we're really with and for them where we really care for them has this deep dynamic i think that connects us to what god does in the world so i really want to make it our, like my theological mm-hmm. argument that i've been making throughout my work that started in youth ministry and has kind of developed from there is that we have to recognize god as a minister that the kind of God we know is, um, especially the God of the of the the Hebrew Bible, the God of the Old Testament, um, and then made known in in Jesus Christ, is uh, a God who shows up a God who arrives, and this God comes into the world, and we know God because God acts, and that's particularly how the Israelites um, you know, feel like they, who is God, and, and uh, God is the one who, who frees us from, from Egypt. God is the one who rescues us from, from Egypt. Who, who is God? God is the one who raises Jesus from the dead. God is a God who does things um, in the world, and these kind of things that God does is to minister life, out of death to bring forth um, reconciliation and, and newness, and so if God is, if we know God through God's acts, and God's acts are always to minister to human beings, then I think it's really fair to say that God is fundamentally a minister. God is one who ministers to humanity and ministers to creation. So then, there's a really big, beautiful move to say that when one does ministry, and again, not in a kind of clerical, past, you know, official, ordained pastoral role, but even when we minister to our own children or we, we really care about them and we really embrace them and, and uphold their humanity, um, that there's a way that we're taken into participating and sharing in the being of God, that our own acts of ministry um, bring us into the very, very heart of God's own life. And uh, I don't know, it's been really... A powerful thing to work that out with young people, I think, and maybe one of the dynamics that's been so central is that with young people, there's a little bit of a freedom to get away from some of the um, some of the infrastructure of things. If that makes sense, you know, like I think there there is a, this freedom to just be with them, to mm-hmm. just be in relationship. With them there there feels like there's a little bit more freedom, like i well I have to oversee the budget, and then I have to make sure the building is set, and then I have to make sure that the weekly worship happens in a certain way, and um, then I got to make sure my sermon is is tight, like you know all those things that are really important that happen, I think um, there sometimes moves away from what it means to just live with people and and just be in relationship with them for the sake of being in relationship with them. And youth ministry is allowed for that space. Um, I mean, you referenced my first book, which in some ways was trying to turn us back to not thinking of our relationships as tools, um, as instruments for something, but to think again in this kind of really profound way is that when we're in a relationship with and for each other, for the sake of just being with and for each other, we witness to a God who wants to just be with and for us. Um and you know and really share in our lives. And so when we share in one another's lives, that we testify to that. And and we do have to proclaim it and we mm-hmm. do have to give it um shape and words, but it uh that there is a real experience of it. There's something almost sacramental about really caring for and loving one another, um, for the sake of just caring for and loving one another, not so that we can, you know, influence them towards some end.
0: Yeah. I love that you say that God is a God who shows up and that as a pastor has been something that frames my own ministry, um, that, you know, one of the very famous stories from the gospels, Mary and Martha Mm -hmm. and Martha's getting ready, right. For this Mm
1: -hmm.
0: big, important dinner, Jesus is eating at her house. I would be stressed out.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and her sister, Mary, is just sitting at the feet of jesus and she gets really frustrated and all hospitality goes out the door right like martha martha says jesus she's just sitting there i can identify because i go through this every year with my sister at thanksgiving and christmas (laughs) um where i'm i'm rushing around i'm cleaning up and my sister's visiting with my family Uh and i get frustrated and i you think i would remember and teach this story um but it has really made me remember, because Jesus mm. says to Martha, she chose the better thing. Yeah. And as someone who likes to do mm-hmm. all really good yeah. things to want to do, clean your house, yeah. make food for people, yeah. it's frustrating to hear she chose the better thing. Yeah. But it has really helped me to frame my ministry to choose the better thing, to choose relationships, mm-hmm. to choose showing up Yeah. with Folks over some of the behind the scenes administrative yeah. tasks that are also very important mm-hmm. of the church, mm-hmm. um, but what you, you know to be a pastor yeah. like God is our minister to be someone who shows up yeah. in the good,
1: mm-hmm. in
0: the ugly, the mm-hmm. uncomfortable um that is something that really fuels me and frames how I try to be a pastor. Now I'm a mom. Yeah, and I know you have children. Yeah,
1: yeah. Two. I do, fifteen and eighteen. Yeah, if I look tired, you know why? No, no. why? Well, it's I, existential. I, when when they're your age, <laughs> you're actually exhausted from moving around. When when they become the age of mine, you just feel, um, yeah, you 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 bear the existential <laughs> weight of it all.
0: And I, if I look tired, it's because my daughters too. Yeah, right. And. Um, And I just took a parenting class here, and it was on conscious discipline. And a lot of um, what they talked about was the power of just being present. Mm -hmm. So now I'm hearing it again Mm -hmm. as a parent, Mm -hmm. and we can read as many books. And I think we could say the same, Mm -hmm. replace parenting with theology, God. We could read as much as we can possibly read in a lifetime, but Mm -hmm. if you don't just simply show up. Yeah. I just find that such a good reminder.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, thinking about parenting that way, um, you know, there yeah, there's, there's something about just showing up and and walking the path in many ways. And and not trying to like master the path and not trying to find a shortcut path and not trying to optimize, you know, the speed on the path and not trying to, you know, like count the steps on the path, it's just being on the path. And probably one of the most transformational experiences that my wife, Car, and I have had parenting lately. Is that uh, last summer um, we walked the Cuthbert Trail in in Northern England, um, which Cuthbert's a seventh century um, saint, and uh, you pick it up in Melrose, Scotland, and walk it all the way to the Holy Island of Lindisfarne. at sixty three miles, so we walked it with again our our fifteen year old at the time, seventeen year old, almost eighteen year old, and it was a really profound experience. So that you you, you often don't see anyone but you run into people here and there and 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 they're walking for different reasons but there's a sense of all being pilgrims and we really set it up with our kids that this was going to be a pilgrimage that this was a that this was a um you know we prayed three times a day we prayed the um you know morning prayer uh uh, midday prayer and, and an evening prayer together um and and walked this but what it became really profoundly for for both car and i was it was a way of letting our kids go and i think if there's been an issue with our own parenting that's been kind of maybe outside of god's nature in in, in certain ways is that um we're both uh car and i are both firstborn children and so obviously we're raising a firstborn son and so the three of us enter into deep, controlling uh, headbutts about, you know, who, who, who's in charge here. And so I feel for the poor kid, being a firstborn, being raised by two firstborn kids. So we've, you know, we've had a, a, many years, probably since he was the age of, of, of your daughter, like, uh, dealing with how to, how, wanting control, him wanting control, us wanting control. And it was just a really profound experience to walk with him and have this invitation into letting him go. Um, and not trying to control him, and um, you know, it, it's a it, not controlling is different when they're two than when they're 17 or 18. But I think, I think that's something that's really profound that we all have to enter into, whether um, we're in pastoral ministry or, or um, you know, just a lay person is is what does it mean um, to open ourselves up to meet an uncontrollable God. Um, and that I think so often part of the problem we have in our cultural context is that we tend to proclaim and, and, and Protestantism tends to proclaim a very um, oh, a very flat God because we wanted to be able to control this God. And I think one of the things we learn from, from the Bible is that this is a wild God. The God of Israel is uncontrollable. Um, This God shows and moves and does what this God does. And it always is good and renewing and redemptive. But there are no magical incantations that promise this God uh, will show up. There are no money-back guarantees. And that this God doesn't act in the way of kind of instrumental logic. This God acts, um, again, as a minister. And, of course, all Jesus' parables are parables of these deep, kind of forms of of human contact and human relationship you know the kingdom of God is like this um, and there's all sorts of agricultural kind of assertions about that the kingdom of God is, is like um, but there's also these kind of bound senses of, of God being one who is wildly uncontrollable in an incredibly relational way that uh, that chooses to just be with and, and for us and even risk and when you think of like the, the Parable of the Good Samaritan, of what it means just um over and against kind of safety and religious protectionism to really be with the one who is in need. Um and so uh yeah, we we've been on a journey of even thinking about that kind of context in parenting, of what it means to really be with our kids and and not in a kind of instrumental way. And it is very costly and it it costs taking a breath and uh giving up at least at least a really firm grip on control. And uh, I think as a parent you're always going to have some kind of semi control, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like um there are boundaries and rules and things like that. But I think mm-hmm. in our in our society with so much kind of fodder for fear, um you feel like the kind of good parent and good parenting is is controlling everything you can control. And yet when we do that, we lose the profound gift of just encounter and encounter of, of persons and uh, yeah we had a real significant kind of spiritual experience kind of letting letting go
0: you know it just it strikes me again being in this new parenting space with a two year old um, I you one of the other things that I recently learned about was this risk versus hazard mm. and um, with this some something as simple as the playground. Mm-hmm. So we have a beautiful playground mm-hmm. on, on the church campus here, and after I get Christine from child care, we take her over to the playground, and she wants to figure her way up, just like the other kids, up this mm-hmm. kind of ladder-esque structure. And I'm thinking, you're too don't do it but i had just had a conversation with some moms and their preschool teachers and yeah. they they told me about risk versus hazard and 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 just identifying like what we as adults can see this is a hazard this is going to end poorly mm-hmm. but then the other side of risk that could be something where they could really explore what they're capable of doing yeah and um in this instance the latter was really a risk i just needed to take a breath mm-hmm. And I stood nearby, but I didn't touch her. I, I just let her teeter mm. her way up and figure it out, and my stomach dropped a couple times. But she did it, and now it's, she just runs up the thing so mm. fast. And I think, you know, I, I really admire my parents because I feel like they were able to navigate that very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can chuckle because my mom's an air traffic controller, <laughs> so she's used to control. Yeah, I mean right. You tell she tells you what to do and they do it or else um, but but to have that step back as a parent with teenagers she let me go do mission work mm-hmm. in the Dominican Republic so you know I think it's a really important lesson for parents and even when we're considering like what we're allowing our, our children to be involved in mm-hmm. risky situations maybe with reaching out to the other going to unknown places um, for the sake of, you know, following where God calls us to go mm-hmm. and loving the people that God calls us to love. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering what you might say to parents yeah, of, about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think that there's something really, really important about us kind of loosening our grip a little bit. Um, and yet I say that, as someone who has a really hard time losing my grip, you know, like um yeah, you know, my son's driving and has been driving for, you know, a well over a year now. And um mean the anxiety and letting him take the car. And I don't know, there's something I think there's something kind of fascinating about people um, you know, right around my age, kind of late forties and maybe it goes down a decade and up a few years. But um the, the, the ability to catastrophize is, like, <laughs> remarkably, I don't know, it, it becomes like a reflex, like, you know, like, to, to be able to kind of think, like, all of these terrible things are going to happen. So, you know, I can I can totally relate when you're like, okay, do I open ourselves up to the risk of her going up the ladder? Because you can see, like, fall, broken neck, um, you know, like, all, I the conti- <laughs> all the contingencies are, like, right, right there. and You know, then imagine your kid in the car, you know, like all of these things. So, yeah, I mean, there is a sense of we as kind of late modern people have a hard time being in the moment. And so it's easy to catastrophize at one level because we're so utterly anxious because we're often we have the hardest time just being where we are, you know. So just living in this moment and, and accepting some kind of uncontrollability, I think. We live in a kind of technological time. I mean, it's a really odd odd time to be living, actually, because it feels like we have utter control of things that who would have ever thought we could control them like we do? Like, for instance, an app that can control cars to magically just appear wherever you are by hitting a button. You know, like, here comes the Uber or here comes the Lyft. I mean, that is an incredible amount of control. Or the control, like, this would have been the utter fantasy for my like 12 or 13 year old self that I could hold in my hand a device that almost literally every TV show ever made, I can stream, you know, like, and let me tell you people, like I am paying $8 for every (laughs) streaming service out there, or 15 or $18. Like I I just can't get rid of them because as soon as I get rid of one or about to, then a season that I really need to watch com- comes on so um, but I mean that's an incredible amount of control or you know like we all if we pay the $15 a month or whatever have um, again almost literally every song ever recorded in our in our pocket you know so there's there's certain ways we have more control than we ever had and yet there's also certain ways we have less control than we've ever had like in a sense of like we the world has become out of control um, in a sense ecologically like It just feels like things are out of control. It feels like maybe even kind of politically and culturally, we're in the middle of a culture war and things feel out of control. So things feel more monstrously out of control and yet more controllable than ever. And I find those two competing realities in how I parent. You know what I mean? Like I feel like, oh, why wouldn't I control? I mean I'm going to – I'm going to serve I'm doing, going to do surveillance on my kid every chance I I get. Like it's my car he's got for goodness gracious. I can I can survey him wherever he's going. And at, so I have this both this kind of sense that I can protect him from everything and that there is monstrous out of control realities coming. Like I I don't know. I mean maybe it's just the fact that we weren't living in that moment, but it feels like other generations of parents didn't feel like this utter pull of Complete control—you could have it, like the dream. You can have complete control, and the feeling like there are monstrous forces of uncontrollability. You know, like yeah. maybe they did. I mean, my gosh, you know, people—you think of you know raising your kids in London while it's being bombed in you know 1943 or something. Like, you know, that's that's a pretty deep level of of feeling, kind of out of control, or you know, feeling deep senses of the of, of catastrophe being right around the corner. But there's this weird way that we have it here that it almost, gosh, it almost feels like it comes without any deeper purpose in some ways, or or some larger narrative. That even when you know London's being blitzkrieg, there's a deep sense of like the nation fighting for survival, and I'm just like fighting to make sure. I don't know, that we have enough money to pay for all the streaming services. And you know what I mean? Like there's a certain way that I don't know if there's a a deeper horizon to all this other than my own anxiety that I don't want something bad to happen to my kids. I better take control and I should be able to take control. And yet these monstrous – realities of 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 them being out of control are there too whether they're ecological or mental health issues or political strife or or what have you so i think we feel really caught in those in those moments Yeah. yeah
0: thank you andy well this wraps up part one of our conversation with andy root professor at luther seminary and we invite you to tune back in next week for part two Thanks for joining us at our Out of the Park podcast series. If you like this program and would like to check out more, go to our website at www.framparkcenter.org.